Hello, and welcome to the Green Minds podcast. Showcasing the science, stories and solutions behind climate change with Phoebe Scott, Alex Miller, Lottie Flashness and Guy Wilkinson. Hello and welcome to this episode of the IB Green Minds podcast. My name is Phoebe Scott and today I'm joined by the founders of CoFarm Capital, Michael Batley, Spandan Shah and Sean Whitaker, all full-time MBA students at Imperial College Business School. Earlier this year, CoFarm was announced as the winner of this year's Climate Investment Challenge, a competition for graduate students to develop creative financial solutions addressing climate change. CoFarm proposes a one-stop shop with operational, business and tailored debt financing solutions for agroforestry farming. Aimed at shifting away from monoculture farming, CoFarm aims to introduce resilient and sustainable farms with diversified revenue streams. Turning to individual backgrounds, prior to their MBAs, Michael previously worked in investment banking and corporate strategy, Spandan previously worked in value chain management, corporate tax and transfer pricing, and Sean previously worked in product management and software development for tech startups. So thank you so much, all three of you, for joining me today. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Phoebe. Thank you. No worries at all. So I just thought it'd be helpful to start off by talking about all of your backgrounds. And I was curious what drew each of you to the MBA course at Imperial and equally to go on from there to co-found CoFarm. Yes, so I'm happy to kick off. I think it's quite a simple story for me. As you said before, my background was in, in finance and corporate strategy. And I was looking to use the MBA to transition into sustainability. And I was attracted to Imperial because obviously it's a, it's a fantastic business school with an excellent brand. And also there's a lot of capabilities in the sustainability space within the business school. And I think this is kind of a typical MBA story. I was just chatting with Sean and Spandon over lunch towards the beginning of the, of the year. And they were talking about this climate investment challenge. And I thought, you know, these guys are onto a great idea. I'm an ideas man. I'm more of a nuts and bolts kind of guy. And I thought it'd be great to work with them to see where we could take it. Obviously, at the time, I had no idea that we were going to actually win the competition. Yeah, I can jump in next. Very similar story for me, unfortunately. So not a lot of different interesting facts coming from me. But yeah, I was looking at Imperial College primarily because of a lot of the work that Charlie Donovan and you know, the Climate Investment Challenge from last year really piqued my interest in what I could achieve here at Imperial College. And so before joining the MBA, I was working, as you said, maybe in the technology sector with startups, uh, doing a bit of work in behavioral incentivization and the monetization of carbon. And so that's where really Spandon and I headed off. We started talking about climate change, what we could do to try and facilitate some of these new solutions and get them into the market as quickly as possible. And, you know, um, we obviously met up with Mike. He, he says he's a nuts and bolts kind of guy, but I, we've turned him into a, a nuts and timber kind of guy, I like to say. Spandon, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Sean. So I've, I've also got a similar story in that, um, as, as you've said, my background has been in tax advisory, but I wanted to kind of transition into um, the strategy commercial side of things and overlaying sustainability climate change, which has also been my passion for the past few years. And then thinking and reading a lot about topics and the latest developments. Agriculture is one of the most vulnerable sectors to the impacts of climate change. And it is also one of the top greenhouse gas emitting sectors globally. So we just thought, you know, we, it would be good to explore a potential solution that would address uh, both of these challenges, make the agriculture sector a bit more resilient to the impacts of climate change, while also trying to tackle its uh, carbon emissions problem. So yeah, that, that's how CoFarm Capital has its roots. And like Sean Mike said, all of us share a similar passion for sustainability and we just hit it off as a team. And that's great to hear. And it's really nice how these relationships and just foster so naturally in an MBA environment despite COVID, which is great. You actually have the opportunity to, to chat and meet up in person. And I was also curious 
well, firstly, congratulations for winning. But how did you find the process overall? And if there was anything that you would have done differently in retrospect? So generally, the process was really, really good. I think the team at the Climate Investment Challenge were really, really diligent, provided a lot of support early on, a lot of guidance. So very early on in the MBA, Span and I, we started talking about this, and I think in September, and then very shortly after that, we're joined by Mike. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, working on the idea and trying to figure out where we could create some value and, and where our expertise lay. But I think one thing that we definitely do differently was engage with experts earlier. So we started engaging with experts probably around December, January. And, you know, after doing so, we really started to identify a few holes and a few gaps in the solution that we we're putting together. And I think, you know, moving forward, we'll, we'll obviously address those gaps and those holes. But if we'd met with those experts earlier, we would have been able to build those, you know, those adaptations into the idea before bringing it to the investment challenge. And I think that would have made it a little bit more a little bit more holistically sound, not that it's not sound, of course, because we won, but I think there are obviously improvements that can be made and we'll address those moving forward. But yeah, you know, reflecting on when to speak to an expert coming into something like agroforestry as a complete newbie, it, it took a long time to build up a lot of knowledge so that we could go out and reach some partners and have these conversations with them, understand where where we could help, where we could create value in the industry. So it was about balancing, you know, how much knowledge we had versus how much knowledge we needed to acquire from these conversations. As you say, when you're creating a startup or looking at a new idea, there will always be a few bits to work out as you go along. But it sounds really great. And obviously, you guys took a lot of initiative with engaging with experts in the first place. I thought it would be also useful just to a bit more about the details of CoFarm for those maybe who didn't follow the Climate Investment Challenge and are not aware of your idea. So I was wondering if you guys wouldn't mind summarising its business proposal. I think whenever we talk about CoFarm to people that aren't familiar with it, we always need to take a step back and, and first explain what agroforestry is and, and why agroforestry is a good thing. So agroforestry, simply put, is the planting of trees in crop and pasture land. And this practice actually has several benefits, uh, contrary to kind of historical belief where uh, a lot of farmers see trees as an impediment to farming because, you know, they can get in the way of a combine harvester if you don't position them properly. And you're, you're potentially taking land out of action that could otherwise be deployed for growing crops and such. But there's an emerging body of research which is actually showing that agroforestry is a practice has real ecosystem and economic benefit. So over the long term versus monocultures, it actually has productivity increases. And this is driven by a number of things. It's driven by crop diversification. So you're not just getting your row crops from wheat, for example, or your cows or, or your sheep or whatever you know, animal you have in your fields. You're also getting crops from these trees, whether that's timber or fruit or nuts or something else. Additionally, they protect the topsoil. So traditional monoculture practices really drain nutrients and water from the topsoil. And then they require a lot of replenishment through nitrogen-based fertilizers. But what these trees do is they lock in the nutrients in the topsoil and they help regenerate the land over a long period of time. The trees also act as a barrier against external weather events. So they protect the topsoil against wind and they also help to regulate the water, the nutrient and the temperature of the microclimate of the field. And above all this, they help sequester carbon as they grow. So there's, there's all of these economic and ecosystem benefits. So when you go to a farmer, you talk about this, they say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But there are several barriers to adoption. And this is where CoFarm comes in. So farmers kind of face barriers across three broad areas. There's operational barriers. So they firstly require access to a comprehensive skill set to model out what their agroforestry system should look like, the right types of tree crop combinations, the right structure and spacing. And then once they've initiated the transformation, they need new skills to manage these tree crops. So they may have been growing wheat all their life, 
Now, all of a sudden, they need to deal with apple trees. Beyond this, there's business barriers. So there's an initial cash flow valley where they've planted the trees. They've taken, let's say, 10% of their land out to plant these trees, but the trees need to mature. They aren't generating revenue because they need to grow. So that's typically, depends on the tree, the first five to maybe even 10 years of the lifetime of the new system. And additionally, they need new market relationships. They need buyers to buy their new apples. Previously, they've only ever dealt with a wheat trader and also people to buy their carbon credits off them if they if they want to go down that route as well. And then finally, they require access to financing. So the transformation finance in the form of loans, for example, to actually initiate this change. And traditionally, typical lenders, so banks, they feel uncomfortable about agroforestry. It's a process that's unknown to them. And so they're unwilling to lend with the right interest rates and the right terms that enable a successful transformation. So CoFarm addresses all these barriers by acting as a sort of one-stop shop. So we connect farmers with agroforestry consultants to help them map out their land and then engage in the transformation. We connect them with carbon credit marketplaces and market support partners. So let's say nut or fruit industry bodies to help them connect them to market. And then we provide the financing ourselves in the form of these tailored loans, which have very attractive interest rate But importantly, there's a debt repayment holiday upfront, which means they only start paying the money back once the trees start yielding returns. So that, in a nutshell, is how CoFarm works and how we enable that transformation to agroforestry. It's really interesting to see how you've been able to marry these three different elements that you mentioned into one one stop shop, as you say. I was also curious, CoFarm was focused on the USA and why you saw a particular opportunity for agroforestry in the USA. U.S. is the top agricultural producing countries in the world. Uh, I mean, uh, along with that, it brings a huge and a well-established agricultural market and infrastructure. You've potentially got around uh, close to 800 million addressable acres with uh, solid underlying fundamentals, which uh, can help embed agroforestry. But on the other side, they are also facing significant soil degradation because they have been producing a a single uh, variety of crop for, for far too long. The climate, on the other hand, particularly around Midwest, uh, is well suited to agroforestry. So combining all this along with the green political climate that the new Biden government has brought, got us to work out a way that uh, it was a positive development uh, and the sustainable agriculture movement is also beginning to gain traction in the U.S. Along with the underlying soil and crop fundamentals, you've also got several institutions which exist in the U.S. which are also pushing for measures around agroforestry, which include the American Forest Foundation and the Savannah Institute. As I mentioned earlier, the new government, which just got elected, has brought in a renewed focus on climate change. And we thought the concept of agroforestry would blend in well. As we investigated the market a bit further, we found uh, several proof-of-concept projects running with black walnut trees, for example, and there was a lot of research uh, conducted by various institutes and literature which, which we came across, which we then used to build our proposition. So combining all this, we found that U.S. is a app market that we can focus on for co-farm capital. And the discussions that we had with some of the experts at the later stage in the process provided further ratification of the idea from our perspective. Just as a quick follow-up question, I was curious, all three of you are currently based in the UK and how are you planning to expand that at all in the US just on a feasibility perspective? So obviously, we're all from the UK, very, very astute observation. And we're all based in the UK as well. But I think when we were approaching the US, we saw it as, as Spanner mentioned, the, the largest agricultural exporter in the world. They represent about 8% of all agricultural production in the world as well. And that is so primed and ready for something like agroforestry 
So just because of its level of attractiveness, we really saw, you know, there, there are other markets we could potentially target like the UK or Europe, but the US is just the most feasible. And then in terms of, you know, how we actually practically do that. So it would be a lot of leaning on our partners that we've already established relationships with there in the US. So some of the large agricultural aggregators, uh, some of the on the ground consultants that we've had discussions with over the last 12 months as we've been setting up CoFarm. And then finally, just trying to get some people on the ground. So we've been having a few discussions with other MBA students who have roots in America who are looking to move back to America and seeing whether they'd be interested in management positions for the fund. Completely agree with everything Sean's just said. We've kind of trying to keep conversations open at the minute whilst we explore different ways of moving CoFarm forward. And so there, there are potential ways that we could lean on our partners or the sort of agents to help execute in the US. And if we decided that we wanted to be much closer to things, then there are ways that we could get CoFarm launched in the UK or Europe. There's you know similar climate, a similar sort of supporting agricultural and agroforestry infrastructure. So there are agroforestry consultants that operate in Europe and the UK as well. So we may be able to replicate something, albeit on a smaller scale in the UK. I know this has probably been touched on a bit already with your previous answers, but in terms of the wider landscape for agroforestry related companies, how do you see yourself as differentiating yourself from the wider market? Uh, the short answer in, in, in a way is that uh, there aren't many companies out there that are providing uh, similar specialized financing solutions for agroforestry. It's kind of a frontier space in, in many respects that way. What differentiates then CoFarm versus uh, some of the existing players and new startups that are coming in this space is that we provide upfront repayment holidays. Obviously, through our partners, we have been able to develop a deeper understanding of the agroforestry so can provide competitive interest rates. And lastly, again, using a network of partners and consultants across our offering, we can provide farmers access to a suite of tailored solutions uh, that can help enable the transition to agroforestry. As one other element is that we've also used huge agricultural companies like Cargan and the like to be the, the channel partners as well as we take this proposition to the market. So I think this all of these uh, would, would then help us uh, differentiate against some of the existing players or potentially newer competitors that might come up in the market in the, in the near term. Regarding particularly your comment on this debt repayment holiday which you're proposing, I was also curious as to how you were ensuring that CoFarm was a financially attractive investment opportunity and the actual feasibility of offering these attractive financial terms as a startup. I think there are a number of things to cover here. And I think firstly, on the uh, perhaps we're being a bit um, sneaky with the, the term debt repayment holiday, interest rate is certainly being charged. It's just not being repaid in cash until years, let's say five to 15 of the loan. So farmers aren't getting a, a completely free ride. We're just building up a cash balance until they're in a position to start paying down on that. I think in, in terms of how we make CoFarm and the solution provided by CoFarm attractive, financially attractive to, to all the key stakeholders involved, agroforestry and CoFarm benefits from the fact that agroforestry has these economic and ecosystem returns, which is a, a real benefit because a lot of other sustainability initiatives, I think they struggle on the financial side, but look good when you take a more integrated view of value across social, environmental and financial benefits. But fortunately, agroforestry really provides that economic benefit intrinsically through these productivity uplifts. So by simply transforming their system, their farming system and taking a long term view and coupling this with carbon credits, farmers are able to generate a 10% net return over the lifetime of this transformation, which is above average return for farmers in the US based on historical data. And then on the investor side, we're offering net returns of 4 to 5%. 
Now, some investors wouldn't find these attractive at all, but these are actually quite attractive and you would say in line with the market for agricultural debt. So the investor returns are driven by interest rates on the loans. And whilst we do have that upfront repayment holiday, overall, we're still charging the same level of interest because we've got the payment in kind interests in years one to one to four or five. So they're getting these interest payments. And these are, of course, these, of course, will flex up and down in line with the market base rate. I think importantly, you know, coupling these returns of four to five percent with a risk element, you know, these, these are very low risk returns, which is why you can you can get away with providing four to five percent returns to investors, because the loans are secured on land and we're using a very conservative loan to value ratio. And the entire transformation plans are supported end to end by these third party consultants. So you're not just hoping that a farmer who has never engaged in agroforestry before is going to be able to make this transformation successful. You're providing them with the support to do that. Plus, you're securing the loan on land and you're keeping track of the transformation every step of the way. So these are inline returns for the agricultural debt space, but they're also very low risk, which is why we think that they are financially attractive to investors. Actually, on one of the points you made about this low risk, whereas arguably also low return, which kind of investors do you think you should target? Is it more like the institutional investors in the pension fund space and those sorts of players? Yeah, absolutely. This is pension funds and other institutional investors that are looking to devote a certain proportion of their portfolio to stable, low risk returns. And the the private debt space is full of investors that would be interested in something like this. And, you know, with CoFarm Fund One, just looking for, I think, $160 million, this is a piddling amount for such institutional investors. That kind of links into my next question, which is on stakeholders and apart from investors, I was curious as to the key stakeholders involved in order to take this co-farm idea and make it a success in reality. Investors aside, there are four other stakeholders, so there are five stakeholders in total. And obviously the, the first one, the most important is the farmers. So we really focus on helping the farmers execute the transformation from a monocultural farming situation to this agroforestry alternative. And so that's done with our, you know, our second stakeholder, which is really important to our, to co-farm as well, which is our consultant network. So we work with third party consultants, as, as Mike was mentioning, to develop the support structures for the farmers. So that's through things like AI scanning of or AI driven scanning of their farm to identify the most optimal place to plant trees throughout either a, a silver pasture or a silver arable field. So then using these consultants and these networkers and consultants, we can really build up a success factor or a really, really high success rate rather for each project that we undergo with CoFarm. So then on our third stakeholder, we have our market support partners. So after our farmer has transformed his forestry model, they obviously then need to offload any produce from this agroforestry, from these agroforestry products. So that can be things like nuts, if it's a fruit or nut bearing tree, be fruit or nuts or the timber at the yield of the maturity of the tree, which is roughly 20 years. So we make sure that the farmer is connected with these market support partners to ensure that as soon as those trees reach maturity, they have a buyer in place. If it's a three to four year period after a fruit or nut bearing tree is planted, they have a buyer for those fruit and nuts as well. And then the fourth stakeholder, aside from the investors, of course, is this idea of the carbon marketplace. So we ensure that the farmer, after they've planted these trees, they understand the certification process. They have a partner in place to certify the trees for carbon sequestration and then carbon creditization. So we don't factor that into our financial models. We leave that to the farmer, but we ensure that we have some partners available for the farmers to connect with and and creditize those, those carbon credits if they're interested in doing so. And that provides them an additional upside on top of the 11% that Mike mentioned earlier. So those are our really four key stakeholders, the farmers 
our consultant network, our, our market support partners that we've already discussed a little bit, and also then the carbon marketplace as well. Just thinking to next steps now for CoFarm, obviously you won the Climate Investment Challenge early this year and have had to balance that alongside your MBAs and also looking for potential job opportunities after your master's as well. But I was wondering what the next steps were and, and where you're planning to take CoFarm from here. We're currently keeping conversations quite open. None of us, I think, at the very beginning expected CoFarm to kind of get where it was. It was just an, an, an idea, maybe a bit of a fun project. But now it, it obviously looks like it's got some serious legs. I think following the final of the CIC, we, we took a step back so that we could focus on completing our MBA. And, and now we're really to, to open up those conversations again with our partners, with other members of the MBA cohort to see w- which direction we could take it. And so those conversations are, as I said, quite open at the minute. Could transition to a market closer to home, so the UK, or we could try and lean on some of our partners a bit more to to run things at a distance, perhaps in the US. Yeah, we haven't come to a firm conclusion on any of those quite yet. I was also wondering if you maybe had any other business ideas in the process that got left along the wayside that you were thinking about picking up, as you just mentioned, that this process has taken a bit of a backseat more recently, but just curious as to what other things you guys were thinking about, or if from the start you were very clear as to what you wanted CoFarm to be and where you wanted to take it. Yeah, sure. I mean, one thing uh, kind of that the three of us are sure about is that in some form, all of our um, post-MBA jobs will involve sustainability, uh, right? Kind of in in addition to that, I think there's a a particularly from my end, there's two business ideas that I'm working back in India, which are related around the the sustainability side of things. So there's one startup which I'm currently working on, which is focused on reducing food waste from restaurants. And uh, you've got uh, catering as a big business uh, back in India. You've got uh, weddings with uh, close to 800, 1000 people attending. Yes, yes. So trying to kind of... um, work out a B2B solution to tackle the the growing problem of food waste back in India. And one other kind of idea that I'm working on right now is building a software to help organizations back in India and hopefully globally manage their environmental, social and governance data on a single platform, making it easier for them to analyze that data, use the insights to change their business and supply chain strategies and ease out the reporting process, which is becoming a big thing in jurisdictions across the world. I also thought it was important to touch upon the wider market back, particularly relating to climate changes. We've seen some of the most extreme temperatures ever recorded in the US and in Canada, also with the increasing risk of forest fires as well. I'm thinking about agroforestry as a sector with all of these things taken into consideration. I was curious as to how you thought about the agriculture market and the agroforestry market in this context. So really, when I look at global agricultural market, there are a number of major and very challenging trends that it's facing into. So as you've rightly said, climate change is one of those. But there's also, you know, increased amount of growing global population as well. So the global population is expected to reach sort of 9 billion by 2050. So farmers are going to need to produce a lot more food to feed those extra mouths. But at the same time, and this is coupled with, with sustainability trends, there's going to be a lot more pressure to limit the expansion of farmland. So they're going to have to get much more efficient and productive with the land that they already have. Additionally, there's going to be pressure to get more productive with the land they currently have, but farm in a less aggressive, intensive way and be much more sustainable. So play their part to cut greenhouse gas emissions, repair the land, repair topsoil and limit the use of pesticides and nitrogen based fertilisers. As you can see, there's a huge tension between these two elements. And then finally, as you've said, climate change. So climate change is going to be driving increased frequency of extreme weather events that is going to damage crops, it's going to da- damage livestock. 
which is going to hurt incomes and then also increase insurance premiums. So overall, farmers are going to be facing into some monumental challenges over the, over the coming decades. I think pulling that in the context of agroforestry and the sustainable farming, I think you know those schemes can play a major role in addressing some of these challenges. So as we've said before, agroforestry systems can increase the productivity of land and protect the topsoil. So farmers can eke out more yield within their land, but also protect their land at the same time. And the trees that are planted within the system help to protect against extreme weather events. They help to regulate temperatures, protect against floods and strong winds, etc. So you know, by deploying agroforestry methods, farmers can both combat climate change and also adapt to climate change at the same time. But I think importantly, this requires a real pivot from the short term view, which is prevalent right now, which is I need to maximize yield every year, every year, every year, because, you know, Cargill or ADM are demanding that they're, they're like maximize yield and, and they're only giving me a low price to the entire value chain taking a longer term perspective. So I think that's how agroforestry can play a role. But there's various other things that farmers can deploy to both increase the productivity of their land, but in a more sustainable way and help combat and adapt to climate change. So as I've said, they can deploy agroforestry, but they can also diversify their crops and use different types of cover crops in general so that they lower the risk in a given year of crop failure. So if there's a drought, for example, then some of the hardier crops will survive. So they have 50% output instead of 0% output in an extreme scenario. And finally, the use of technology is going to be absolutely crucial. Alongside, let's say, deploying more sustainable methods, farmers are going to need to plug their long-term planning cycles into climate models to determine over the next 50 years how their local environment is going to be effective and determine what the best use of land is. And then they're also going to need to invest in data-driven precision agriculture technology. So the use of drones, of very data-intensive farming methodologies to maximise in a sustainable way the output they can squeeze from every square inch of their land. So it's going to be a combination of sustainable systems like agroforestry, coupled with investments in connectivity and technology and precision agriculture. Just as a couple of concluding questions, which we asked all of our Green Minds guests, I was wondering if you had any words of advice, if there were any of our listeners interested, firstly, in applying to the Climate Investment Challenge next year, or relatedly setting up their own climate change linked startup. So the advice I give is keep your idea relatively simple. CoFarm has a lot of stakeholders involved, but at its core, we're just giving loans. So it's a relatively simple financial product. When it gets too complex, you, you struggle to get stakeholder buy-in. If it takes you, you know, 20 minutes to explain to someone what your idea is, then you probably already lost them. And I think on top of that, linking back to Sean's point earlier on, get out there, get some research done, get something together, and then get out early and speak to experts. Don't spend so long working on the idea in your own little bubble, because inevitably, when you get out and speak to those experts, they'll be able to push, you know, huge holes in your idea that you'll need to fix. So the earlier you can speak to those experts, the better. Absolutely. Yeah, I think massively echo the sentiment on the simple side as well, Mike. We went through a number of iterations with CoFarm, some of which were much more complex than where we ended up. And I think that's testament to one of the reasons we actually won the competition was because of how simple it is to execute and to explain. I think one other point is something that I'm very passionate about, which is focusing on areas where you can create marginal gains. So small areas in existing value chains where you can think you can improve the productivity or reduce the carbon emissions of that space in a very marginal way. So we're talking one to 2% changes in you know emissions because it's really going to be 
the stacking and, and you know the confluence of all these little marginal gains that we achieve throughout the value chains of carbon intensive processes like agriculture like automotive processes etc that allow us to reduce our emissions and meet the the paris climate targets for 2030 and 2050 onwards very final question if our listeners could take away one thing from this episode of the podcast what would you want it to be i think for me get excited about agriculture. I came into this year in the MBA, I didn't know anything about agriculture. I thought it was a relatively stale market. But you know, given the challenges we've just spoken about, innovation in the agricultural space and the development of agritech is going to be a really exciting space over the next 40 years. So I think everyone should get out there and get excited and start looking into agriculture because that's where a lot of innovation is going to come. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities that come alongside that innovation. Absolutely. Totally agree. It's not all nuts and timber, as I mentioned earlier. There's, there are a lot of exciting opportunities in agriculture. It's a huge industry and farmers are really, really driven to change and to adapt, which I think is something that we immediately saw when we started speaking with them. So there's a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of hungry people out there who are looking for change in agriculture. And I think, yeah, there are lots of different and new ideas that can help drive change in the industry. Yeah, just just adding on to that, I think that we we all need on a on a day to day basis, and requirement for producing uh, more food is only going to increase going forward. So there's a lot of uh, innovation um, developments which will be happening in the agri-tech space. Impact investment is also kind of you know looking at food and the agriculture industry as a focus area. So yeah, I think there's there's going to be a lot lot of uh, development and and opportunities lying in and around agriculture. Great. Well, thank you so much to all three of you for joining me on the podcast today. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you. A pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Phoebe. Thank you for having us, Phoebe. Thanks, Phoebe. 